You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. Amen, amen. Thank you, Elizabeth. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Redeemer. So glad that you are with us today. Again, if you missed Pastor Rick's welcome, we want to say Happy Mother's Day to those of you who are moms. What an important calling that is that God has gifted you with and given to you. And so we honor you. We are thankful for you in this church. Um, uh, We need moms uh, that love Jesus uh, in the home, and we need spiritual mothers in the church. And so we're thankful for you, uh, those of you who are moms. Hope you feel loved and honored and blessed today. If you're not already there, I want to invite you to meet me in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We are in week three of a study through Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. And so as you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, or as you power on in your phone to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I want to make a statement as we begin. And the statement is this. There is a lot of foolishness in this world. Amen? Amen. Amen. There's a lot of foolishness in your life. <laughs> Amen. And there's a lot of foolishness in my life. There's a lot of foolishness in this world. Proverbs 15:14 tells us that wisdom has to be discerned. It actually takes work to find wisdom because the default mode of this world is foolishness. The default mode of our lives as human beings is to be duped rather than to be discerning. Do you see what I'm saying? There's a lot of foolishness in this world. And the thing about foolishness that makes it tricky, the reason that it's easy to get duped by foolishness is because foolishness can often be dressed up as wisdom. It can be disguised as wisdom. Let me give you a few examples of how this works in our world. Foolishness can often be commercialized and sold to us as wisdom. For years, the tobacco industry said that cigarette smoking was a great way to relieve stress and to wind down. In fact, in 1994, James W. Johnston, CEO of R.J. Reynolds, told a congressional committee, he said this, he said, cigarette smoking is no more addictive nor more unhealthy than coffee, tea, or Twinkies. (laughs) That's what he said. See, foolishness can be commercialized and sold to us as wisdom. In our day and age, foolishness is being commercialized and sold to us as wisdom through ads and through movies that romanticize a certain way of life through algorithms on your phone that are always reminding you of what you need or what you don't have. If only I had this or could do that. Foolishness can also be intellectualized and lectured to us as wisdom. We see this today in liberal academic circles. It is perhaps most pronounced in the LGBTQ plus movement where Wisdom of the day tells us that we ought to actually look past basic biology and it points us into a world of gender confusion, of pronoun perplexity, and is enslaving an entire generation in sexual sin. Wisdom, intellectualized, foolishness, intellectualized, and packaged as wisdom. Foolishness can also be spiritualized and packaged as wisdom. We've seen this in American politics over the decades. All you have to do is rewind back to our last election in 2020. There was a lot of foolishness that was being spiritualized. This has happened for decades 
centuries in our country. Christian language and scripture laced the defense of slavery and of Jim Crow laws. Foolishness spiritualized, packaged as wisdom. Foolishness can be justified and moralized. How many of you know someone in your life that has literally lost their mind following a path of foolishness, but they justify it. They even moralize it. They say things like, I'm just following my own heart. I'm doing what makes me happy. And they pursue it as if they are a moral person, as if they are, uh, you know, as if they are noble. They package it regardless the cost to others. There is so much foolishness in this world. Foolishness, it takes all kinds of forms. It can be packaged as wisdom, and we are often duped rather than discerning. And as we pick up in our study of 1 Corinthians in chapter 1, we find the Apostle Paul writing a letter to a young church in a first century city, the city of Corinth, that was full of a lot of foolishness disguised as wisdom. Corinth was a diverse place. It was an intellectual city. It was an overwhelming city. It was an experiential city. How many of you have ever been to an overwhelming city? Like maybe you've been to Vegas and you're like, whoa, there's a lot going on here. Or I've, I've experienced this in cities like Tokyo and Bangkok, New York City. Corinth was an overwhelming city. And the church in Corinth was allowing the foolishness of their day to seep into their fellowship. And starting in chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through chapter 2, verse 16, through the end of chapter 2, Paul is going to address this. He's going to say, church, young Christians, you've gotten confused about what is really wisdom. You've gotten impressed with the wrong things. And the foolishness of the world that you think is wisdom is impacting your life with Christ. It's impacting your fellowship with one another. It's impacting your witness in the world. In other words, here's what Paul is going to say in this text. He's going to say, you cannot follow Christ and still try and live by the story of the world. You can't do it. It's like oil and water, the word of the cross and the wisdom of the world. And I think this is a relevant word for us today, church, as we find ourselves in a Corinth-like culture. Many of us are experiencing this tug-of-war of the soul. Can I follow Christ? Can I be faithful to the word of the cross? Or am I going to be pulled toward the wisdom of the world? As we work our way back through the text this morning, I want to invite you and even just ask you, would you lean in this morning? Would you ask yourself the question, am I flirting with foolishness? Are there certain storylines of the world that are pulling me away from the abundant life with Christ, the fellowship with his people, and his mission in the world. Let me pray, and we'll get back into the text. Holy Father, we come to you now through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, and we ask you to be our teacher today. Would you open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds to receive the wisdom that comes from above, receive the wisdom of your word. I pray that your word today would read us, that it would correct us where we need to be corrected. It would convict us where we need to be convicted. It would guide us and lead us out of bondage and into the abundant life of Jesus Christ. We yield to you in this time, and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would meet us, minister to us through your word for the glory of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says this, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. 
But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The word of the cross, foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Paul says there are really only two kinds of people in this world. We often try and divide people up into many groups based upon what we look like or what we're interested in or how much money we make. Paul says, no, 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 no. There's really only two kinds of people in this world. There are people who are being saved by the word of the cross, by the message of the gospel, and there are people who are perishing in the wisdom of the world. Paul says it's really that simple. The first group, they are People who are living by the message of the gospel, the word of the cross, it is the lifeblood of their life. Notice Paul is using present active tense here. He's not talking about people who maybe sometime way back when prayed a prayer and believed about Jesus' death on the cross to get a ticket to heaven and then moved on about their life. He says, the cross, the word of the cross is the lifeblood of your life. If this is, you are being saved. You are experiencing the redeeming and renewing realities of Jesus in your life as you live by the word of the cross. And then he says, there's a second kind of person, and it's the person that is perishing in the wisdom of the world. This person looks at the cross of Christ, not as God's power, not as God's wisdom displayed, not as God's gracious gift, but as folly, as foolishness. Two kinds of people. People who live by the word of the cross. People who live by the wisdom of the world. I want to ask you a question. What does it mean to perish? Paul says the second kind of person in the world is perishing in the wisdom of the world. What does it mean to perish? Anybody want to, anybody want to answer that question? What does it mean to perish? Kids, anybody know? To die, right? That's what we would normally say. It means to die. I want you to know, though, that when the Bible uses the word perish, it actually means more than that. It's this idea of holistic destroy, being destroyed holistically. It's not just about uh, my heart stops beating and I die. It's this idea in the Bible of, of life that God has intended to give being eroded. You're perishing. You're being, your life is being eroded. The idea is that we, as, if you are living by the wisdom of the world, that it's like black mold in a house. Little by little, taking over, poisoning, destroying. And I want to ask this question. Why does Paul begin his argument this way? Why does he begin it this way? There are two kinds of people. Well, if you were with us last week, we learned that the Corinthian church had grown divided. You can go back and you can look at verses 10 through 17. These cliques have formed in the church in Corinth. And they've formed around preference and around status. In other words, they're following the playbook, the way of the world. They're following the playbook of their culture. Pastor Rick talked about this last week. Corinth was a place where people were divided and segmented around personalities and around philosophies. It was normal in Corinth for these professional uh, orators, these professional speakers to stand up in the public square and begin to teach and to begin to talk. They would wow people with new ideas, with philosophy, with persuasive speeches. They worked to captivate people's attention. They competed for their influence. They wanted people to click and like and subscribe to their channel, if you will. 
And whoever's channel you clicked and subscribed to was a measure of status in ancient Corinth. It was how you were defined. In other words, maybe if in our day and age, we size each other up based upon what car we drive or what neighborhood we live in or how we dress or what we're into. It's a measure of status in Corinth. It was, who are you listening to? Who do you follow? Who do you subscribe to? And this caused really two problems for the church in Corinth. First, we talked about this last week. This way of thinking was seeping into the fellowship of God's people. So they were saying things like, well, I subscribe to Paul. I subscribe to Apollos. I subscribe to Peter. And then the lofty people, when Jesus juked everybody, I subscribe to Jesus, they said. What was happening is it's the fellowship of God's people was being divided and segmented. The church was not looking like Christ, but it was looking like Corinth. Do you hear me? You with me? And Paul says, is Christ divided? No, by no means. The church was looking like Corinth rather than like Christ. So this was the first problem. But the second problem, and the problem that he gets into into our text today, is that the way of Corinth and, and it's seeping into the church, the wisdom of Corinth seeping into the church, was causing these early Christians, these young Christians, to start to grow a bit ashamed of the gospel. It was causing them to maybe backpedal on the word of the cross as the defining story of their life. It was causing them to grow lukewarm toward Jesus. In other words, the preaching of the world, the ideas of Corinth, the ideas of the culture, the status metrics of the society started to sound like wisdom and the gospel, the word of Christ, started to sound like foolishness. I just want to ask us, I want to ask you, can you relate to this? We live in a Corinth-like culture. Can you relate to this? Has the noise of our culture, the way of our society, has it stolen your attention? Is it robbing your affection? Maybe some of you are in this place right now. Maybe you can relate to this. Maybe you are experiencing this tug of war of the soul, the word of the cross, the wisdom of the world. Perhaps the noise of the culture has caused your love for God to wane in recent years. Perhaps the competing voices for your time and your affection has caused your faithfulness to Jesus, to his church, your church attendance, your commitment to the church to dip. Perhaps you found yourself compromising on certain values and certain disciplines that you said you would never compromise on. Perhaps like the Corinthians, you are flirting with foolishness. In fact, I wonder if this is why so many Christians today are deconstructing their faith without reconstructing it. I wonder if this is why so many Christians are letting go and so many churches are, are letting go of truths and doctrines that Christians have held for centuries. Is it because we're so immersed in the message of the culture that the word of the cross, the word of the gospel is starting to sound like foolishness to us and the wisdom of the culture is starting to sound like good news. I want you to hear the words of 1 Corinthians 1, 18 again. Paul says, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You see, Paul is writing 
to wake up the church. He's saying, whose wisdom are you following? What word is shaping your life? Is it the cross? The word of the cross? Or the wisdom of the world? Paul's going to go on. He's going to make a series of points from uh, verse 19 all the way to the end of chapter 2. And he's going to, he doesn't, Paul doesn't work linearly here. In fact, Paul is mocking the, the rhetoricians of the day and how they would talk with lofty speech. And he's going to say in chapter 2, 1 through 5, I didn't come to you that way. I just proclaimed Christ crucified. It was very unimpressive and God worked through it. He says that in uh, chapter 1, verse 17. If you look back there, I didn't come with eloquent speech. So he's kind of mocking the, the ways of Corinth, but then he's going to actually write <laughs> in a pretty lofty and persuasive and counter argument and rebuttal. He's going to do this thing. And I'm not going to take you all the way through all of it because my wife told me it's Mother's Day and moms want to get to lunch. Um, so I'm going to summarize for you two things, that, two points that Paul is going to make. Look back at verse 19 and 20, and we find the first point that he's going to make, and it's this, that the wisdom of the world doesn't work. He says, verse 19, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Verse 19 is a quotation from Isaiah 29, 14. And what Paul is doing here is he's reaching back into Israel's story. And he's quoting uh, the prophet Isaiah and his critique on the wise guys of Israel's day, of ancient Israel's day. And how God exposed their wisdom for foolishness. And so what Paul is doing is he's reaching back in history and he's saying, see how God works. God always exposes the wisdom of the world as foolishness. And then he goes on. He says, he says there are wise guys in every age. In every age, worldly wisdom gets dressed up. But it will always get exposed. These wise guys will always get humbled in the end. The scribe, the sage, the debater. In our age, the influencers, the intellectually elite, the millionaires, the internet know-it-alls. None of these people can hold a candle to the wisdom of God. The point that Paul is making is that in the end, the wisdom of the world doesn't work. That's why he starts by saying there's two kinds of people. The word of the cross, which looks like foolishness, and the wisdom of the world, which leads to perishing. The wisdom of the world doesn't work. Who are you listening to? What word is shaping your life? He goes on. He says, but God's wisdom, on the other hand, God's wisdom, God's wisdom does work. And he's going to kind of zigzag through the rest of chapter 1 and into chapter 2 as he makes this point. God's wisdom, on the other hand, does work, but it doesn't work in the way the world works. Are you confused yet? He says, God's wisdom, on the other hand, does really work. It does really have power, but it doesn't work in the way that the world works. In other words, if you are measuring God, if you're going to measure God, if you're looking at God, if you're looking at the gospel, the cross of Christ, the word of the cross, and you're going to measure God, and you're going to measure the way that the wisdom of God, and you're going to do so using worldly metrics, you'll never see it. You'll never see it. You're going to miss it. Because the metrics of the world, see, the world likes flashy and impressive. The world likes power and comfort. That's what worldly wisdom sells. Click, subscribe, like, follow, flashy, quick, 
power, comfort, success. But this isn't the way that God works. Paul is going to make a series of arguments in this text. He's going to say, God's wisdom is revealed in a man named Jesus of Nazareth, born of a peasant family, launched a ministry in Galilee, gathered up a bunch of sinners and sufferers and unfit disciples. This is how God's wisdom works. He's going to continue the argument. He's going to say, God's wisdom and God's power, it's revealed through Jesus on a cross. Jesus in crucifixion, you see, in our world today, we've kind of sanitized the cross, right? We, um, we buy crosses from Hobby Lobby, and we hang them in our guest bathrooms. We wear earrings or necklaces. My kids think it's cool to have kind of a, a swaggy necklace with a cross on it. Uh, we wear earrings and necklaces with the cross on it. We tattoo the cross on our arms or on our forearms if we're really hip. We sanitize the cross. But in Jesus' day, the cross was embarrassing. It was humiliating. It'd be like you hanging an electric chair or a lethal injection needle in your guest bathroom or around your neck. It was humiliating. And Paul is saying God's wisdom, God's wisdom worked through Jesus on a cross, a stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Greek. Crucifixion was an embarrassment. It sounded insane to the people in Corinth. He says, but there's more. God's wisdom works. It doesn't just work through Jesus and Jesus on a cross, but God's wisdom works through preaching about Jesus on a cross. Paul says preaching is foolish in the eyes of the world. Do you know how humiliating that is as I'm standing here today? He says there is foolishness in preaching. Who would listen to preaching about Jesus of Nazareth dying on a cross? But this is how God works. Paul says, I wasn't even impressive. There was no eloquent speech. I just proclaimed Christ crucified. And the power of God went to work. He, just, he goes on in chapter 2 and he talks about how God works in secret, hidden ways through his spirit. You see, if we're measuring the wisdom of God with worldly metrics, we'll never see it. God doesn't work the way the world works. And so if we view his wisdom through the perspective of the world, it's going to look like foolishness and it's going to be easy to dismiss. You see, this is what was happening in Corinth. Christians were being dismissed in this segmented intellectual world. They were being dismissed as fools. And so I think the thinking was that if we could just present ourselves a little bit more like the culture, a little more evolved, a little more intellectual, a little more with the times, then maybe we would be respected. You see, every culture has their own way to dismiss the gospel. Every culture has their own way to call it foolishness. These are what I call gospel defeaters. The Jews had theirs. Paul says the, the message of the cross was a stumbling block to the Jews. So the Jews that were not eyewitnesses of Jesus' death on the cross, when they would later hear about it, they would dismiss it. They would say, that's crazy. The Messiah would never die on a cross. The Messiah is a royal king. They would dismiss it rather than considering it. The Greeks had their way. They just said, that's insane. That's foolishness. They had all these other gods. And they, the, the Greeks would say, a God arrested and suffering? That's insane. That's foolishness. Every culture has their own way of dismissing the gospel. And our culture has ours. Our culture has ours. Our own gospel defeaters. 
That's a bit outdated, isn't it? That's a gospel defeater in our culture. The gospel, the word of the cross, it's a bit boring, isn't it? Why look to Jesus for life? Why look to Jesus for identity when we can look into ourselves? Why, why, why look to Jesus and trust him when we can trust ourselves? Why turn to Jesus when we can turn to money or pleasure for life? You see, no doubt the Apostle Paul had encountered these defeaters to the gospel over and over again as he was preaching Christ crucified. And there's no doubt that these young Christians in Corinth were experiencing it too, that they were experiencing pushback and opposition. They were experiencing the foolishness of the cross. They were being tainted by the foolishness of the cross in Corinthian culture. And I know that if you are trying to live for Jesus in our world today, that perhaps you feel a bit tainted by the foolishness of the cross also. You're trying to live generously and sacrificially in a keeping up with the Jones culture. You're trying to pursue holiness and live accountable to other brothers and sisters in Christ in an autonomous and indulgent culture. You're trying to keep your eyes on the kingdom of God in a politicized culture. You're trying to share your faith with neighbor or coworker in a secularizing culture. You've felt the foolishness of the cross, haven't you? And Paul doesn't, Paul doesn't try and ignore this. Paul doesn't say, it's okay, guys. Hang in there. No, Paul presses right into it. He presses right into it. He presses right into the foolishness of the cross. He doesn't run from it. He says, yeah, that's right. We do live for a Jewish rabbi who was crucified 2,000 years ago. Look what he says in verse 23 and 24. He says, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jew and folly to the Gentile, but to those who are called Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. He says, yes, that's right. That is our message. Christ crucified. Don't let the foolishness of the world dupe you, is what he's saying. Don't let it deceive you. Don't let it discourage you. He says, look to Christ crucified. Look to his life, perfect, beautiful life. Look to his death. Look to his resurrection, the reality that he walked out of the grave. Remember his promised second coming. He will come again and judge the living of the dead. Yeah, it might sound foolish, but that's our message, Paul says. The message of the cross. The power of God. The wisdom of God for those who believe. Don't be duped. And then look, I want you to look at how he ends this argument in chapter 1. Look back at verse 26. He ends the argument with an invitation. And so he's kind of been kind of working through this, this argument. He's saying, recognize the foolishness of the world. Recognize it. There's two kinds of people. Recognize the foolishness of the world. And then he kind of makes his argument, resist it. I know it's a stumbling block to the Jews. I know they have their defeaters and the Greeks kind of say these things about you. And in 21st century, a Western suburban culture, people are going to say this about you for following Jesus. Resist the foolishness of the world. And then he's going to end with one final thing. He's going to say, remember, recall your conversion. Look at how he ends verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. 
Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring nothing, to to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I love how Paul weaves this into his argument. It's a personal appeal. And so he kind of makes the lofty, big picture appeal about the foolishness of the world and the, and the wisdom of the cross. And then he makes a personal appeal. He says, remember your calling. Consider your calling. Remember your conversion. Who were you when Jesus showed up in your life? You see, before the gospel is anything else, it is personal. Before the gospel is anything else, it's experiential. It's about who you were and what the risen, living, reigning Jesus did in your life. He says, remember your calling. Stop listening to the noise. Remember who you were. What what, what did you offer? He says, what what wisdom did you bring to the table? What status did you, did you show up before God with a spiritual resume? Is that what happened? What did you bring to the table? No, you offered Jesus nothing. You offered Jesus nothing but your sin. You showed up with nothing but your brokenness. You brought only your confusion and your weakness and your foolishness to the table. Remember who you were. Remember where you were when you heard about the grace and mercy of a loving God. And when you met Jesus, he received you. He welcomed you to his table. He loved you. He changed you. He pulled you out of the foolishness of the world and invited you in to the wisdom of his grace. And Paul, I think, is saying he will do that again and again and again as we keep coming to him, as we keep turning to him. And so as we close, I want to just invite you, I want to invite you to hear that reminder. Consider your calling. If you've been flirting with the foolishness of this world, or if you've been maybe living by the storyline of the culture rather than the storyline of Christ, if you've gotten drunk on your own wisdom in recent days, if you've been puffed up with pride, if you've been immersed in the world and grown ashamed of the gospel, whatever it might be, would you hear the invitation this morning of renovation? Remember the grace of God. Remember what Paul says in verse 30. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us the wisdom of God, righteousness, redemption, sanctification. Remember the words of Paul in verse 18. For the word of the cross is the power of God for us who are being saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this letter that we have, that you've preserved for us, that you've inspired by your spirit. We thank you for how it teaches us and it reminds us that this world is not our home if we are in Christ Jesus. We have been called out of darkness into your marvelous light. So I pray that you would help us to be a church that boasts not in our resumes, boasts not in our possessions, not in 
what we've accrued or what we've done, but we boast in the cross. Pray that we would be a church that doesn't despair, that doesn't wallow in shame or guilt, but we would boast in the cross. I pray that we would be a church that cuts through the noise in our culture and points to the power and wisdom of God and Christ Jesus. Would you help us? As we enter into a time of response, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would meet with us, that you would minister to us, that you would nourish us. Would you have your way with us in this time? In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.